in Lent, we're in Lent, on this first Sunday of the season of Lent, we hear again the gospel story of Jesus in the wilderness being tempted by the devil. Christ spent 40 days alone and fasting in the desert, facing and dealing with three temptations. It's being called the original Lent. What can we learn from it in our own lives? One of the traps that we can fall into at Lent is to think that Lent is all about what we can do for God. How much discipline can we muster? How many times can we remember to do the thing or not do the thing we had decided to do or give up for Lent? But I was struck recently by something our diocesan bishop, Stephen Croft, wrote about Lent. Simply a comment on Twitter. Lent equals 40 days to understand more deeply how much we are loved. In other words, Lent is all about what God can do, the love God has for us, the freedom God has given, gives us. So what we do in Lent is turn again and focus back on God, the love for us that God has shown in Jesus. This is what we need to remember about Lent. In the words of the 4th century English mystic Julian of Norwich, love is his meaning. But, and here's the problem, we know that as human beings we are prone to believing that we are not lovely and we are not worthy. And sadly, collectively as a species, we have a habit of making one another feel bad at times. Some businesses play on our weaknesses, encouraging the thought that we are not okay in our own skins or our own path of life to make us think we need their product to be okay, or at least look as if we are. Or even in our relationships with others at work, in the family, groups of friends, in church, dare I say, we can find ourselves choosing to counteract that gnawing sense of our own unworthiness or insignificance, boosting up our own image by putting down someone else. At its extreme, that sense of unworthiness, feeling not really good enough, the hopelessness of feeling you will never be good enough or lovable enough, can lead into destructive behaviour, self-destructive life-controlling addictions, or anger, or violence towards others. Or at the less extreme, apathy, and lack of interest in the world or other people beyond your own needs and routines. If we have this tendency to greater or lesser extent, and it's more common, I guess, in some personalities than others, believing deep down, acting often, of course, to hide that we do think this, that we are not worthy to be loved, we are not good enough, we do not match the expectations of even our friends or family, maybe, let alone wider society, and certainly not of God, how is it helpful for Christian, Christian teaching to say then that we do need to acknowledge that we fail and we fall short, that our lives and our bodies are a little temporary collection of stuff in the grand scheme of things. As we say in the Ash Wednesday service, remember that you are dust and to dust you shall return, that we need to confess our sins and faults to God. 
How, we might ask, can that be helpful if we can be so prone to thinking of ourselves as unworthy and unlovable? Doesn't it make it worse to rub it in? That we are, in the words of the old prayer book, miserable offenders? The answer to this query, I believe, is one of the great amazing truths of the Christian faith. One of the truths that makes it such good news. Because what we believe and proclaim as Christians is that Jesus, by his life, death and resurrection, tells us that God makes no link between being good enough and being loved. This is the life-changing message the Apostle Paul was given and took across the known world. As he wrote to the Christians in Rome, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's when we come to see and believe for ourselves, in our hearts, because of what Jesus has done, that God does love us. And that though we do fail and we are not perfect, yet we are still loved by God. We are still blessed by God. God can use us even to be a blessing to others. Then we are set free from that need to boost ourselves up in our own eyes or the eyes of others. Then you can instead do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with your God. To quote from the book of the prophet Micah. In Lent, we might take up special disciplines, increasing our giving to people in need, making time to pray or study the Bible, perhaps with others, adopting some form of fasting by giving up part of our normal routine of consumption like chocolate or alcohol, if they are normal to you, and not something the doc has told you to give up anyway. These are to help us clear some time and mental space to focus on God, to understand more deeply how much we are loved. They are not in any way to show that we are good enough to be loved by God. In fact, the single most important thing we could give up in Lent, or begin to give up, are those thoughts that we must be good enough or worthy enough to be loved by God. So, going back to the story of Jesus being tempted in the desert, what now can this show us in the light of what Lent is really about? The story depicts the devil probing Jesus, and the devil, sometimes called the accuser or the slanderer in some translations of this gospel, is exploiting this human vulnerability to feel unloved because unworthy. Jesus was human like us, though without sin. He shared our weaknesses. So Jesus' responses to these temptations from the accuser can help us in our own struggles and difficulties, in keeping strong in the faith that God loves us as we are and that we can be a blessing to others. These three temptations were not only relevant to Jesus as the unique Son of God, they are relevant to all of us as children of God, too. The first temptation, to turn the stones into bread, is not quite as simple as it might look. It is more subtle. In fact, all three temptations are really corruptions of good things. Jesus rejected the temptation to use his calling as an opportunity to satisfy his own hunger, his own bodily needs, his own comfort, and his own fulfillment. 
His response to this temptation is that we don't live by bread alone, but by doing what God wants for us. This is a temptation we all face, both as individuals and perhaps also as communities, as churches too, to place our own needs at the centre of all that we do, including the practice of our faith, so that it's subtly all about me or all about us. This is the kind of temptation we find it very hard to even to name. It's not that we are self-centred all the time, but it's so natural to the human condition to seek our own satisfaction before or instead of that of others. And we live in a consumer culture which is built around, what, around having what we want when we want it. Turning the stones we've been dealt in life into bread for our own satisfaction looks like a marvellous thing to be able to do, but it can be a barrier to experiencing the joy and the blessings of God's love in our lives. The second temptation was to demonstrate his worthiness by obtaining wealth and power, effectively worshipping wealth and power instead of God. Especially in our day, we do well to be challenged about the grip and the hold over our lives and our attitudes that money and the materialism have. How rooted are we really in God? How much do we trust in the grace of God? Or are the priorities in our lives really dictated by the financially driven way of thinking which surrounds us so much in our society and into which we have been schooled by years of acculturization? Striving for more money and more power over our lives may also rob us of the joy of knowing God's love and blessings in our lives and the lives of those around us. In Luke's version of the story, the final temptation is when the devil tries to get Jesus to test God and to demonstrate how special he was by throwing himself off a high place so that God would save him. Jesus' response to the devil is the antidote to arrogance or pride. Do not put God to the test. Who is anyone, even Jesus, to place themselves in the position of putting God on trial? There is a temptation for all of us as God's children to regard ourselves better than others, to come to believe that that we either as individuals or as a community or a nation are superior to one or more groups of other people. It's especially harmful if that sense of superiority is based on the belief that we are morally or spiritually better than others. A sense of superiority allows us to restrict our compassion from those who do not allegedly deserve it, to ignore the needs, voices or experiences of those who we deem less worthy than ourselves. Again, this is a corruption of a good. Most of us have some particular skills or gifts which are more highly developed. It's false and irresponsible to deny that or to hide developed capabilities in ourselves or in others which prevent them being used for the common good and the well-being of others. But it is sort of slipping back into the attitude that to be loved we need to be good enough if we imagine that these gifts and what we have managed to achieve in life make us better and more deserving than others, especially those poorer and weaker than ourselves. Three temptations that our Lord, as Son of God, faced, we as children of God also face throughout our lives. Keeping Lent gives us an opportunity to
to renew and deepen our understanding and faith that we are loved by God, even though we fail, making our own satisfaction and fulfillment the goal of our lives, letting gaining wealth and power rule our lives, looking down on others and ignoring their needs. May we, by the grace of God this Lent, refocus on God's love in our lives. Take these 40 days to understand more deeply how much we are loved. I'd like to read now the, conclude our time together now with the words of the, the, sorry, the Lent Collect. Please note the second line and also the concluding section. Let us pray. Almighty and everlasting God, you hate nothing that you have made and forgive the sins of all those who are penitent. Create and make in us new and contrite hearts that we, worthily lamenting our sins and acknowledging our wretchedness, may receive from you, the God of all mercy, perfect remission and forgiveness. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who is alive and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.